Hi, and welcome back to the Swell Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, but you can call me Swell. Here on the Swell Shenanigans Podcast, I like talking about all things pop culture, social media, and shenanigans. And today, we are talking about two main stories. Um, Once again, this is a Swell solo episode with me, Amanda, or Swell. I always do that. I'm your host, Amanda, but you can call me Swell. Why did I repeat myself? I don't know. My nose is plugged up. The weather is doing weird things here in LA. The Santa Anas are here, and then they're not, and then my nose is mad at me, okay? My sinuses hate me. So if I sound like I'm talking through like a whistle or something, it's because my nose, my head feels like a teddy bear. I can't, it's annoying as heck. Anyways, last week, I talked to you guys about how I had a shenanigan to share with you, and then because of my ongoing COVID-related memory issues that I've been having, which are super fun. I forgot what it was, like just completely left my brain. And it wasn't, and I was hoping that at the end of filming or something that I was going to remember, I didn't remember until three days later. (laughs) And even then it wasn't even like I remembered what I was doing. I saw an article about what I wanted to talk about and that jogged my memory. And so Someone's going to be like, I don't think that's COVID related, but you know, I've been having a lot of, again, not even train of thought things. It's like my thoughts or I'm, I'm saying a sentence and then I get to that word and the word's gone. Even though I knew what it was two seconds later, I'm just having, it's, it's not as intense as the brain fog I experienced while I was sick, but it's at a point where it's, it's frustrating and I won't lie. It's not debilitating. I'm not going to sit here and say that my random memory issues right now are debilitating, but they're, it's frustrating, especially when part of my job is talking. And everyone always asks me, you know, what's the deal with your uh, research and all of this stuff? Like, where do you go when, after you have a video idea? So much of my research just comes from me already being perpetually online and being able to draw on things that I have witnessed before or watched before or seen before and being able to remember, okay, here is how I can go back and find that. And so these memory issues are causing issues in just how I make content because of how I've always operated. And so that's super fun. Hi, Hermes. My producer, Hermes, has moved from his nap spot. Today is daylight savings time or whatever the time change word is. I don't know what they're called. I'm sorry. But today is the time change. So I could go back to my pre-time change spot of in front of the couch, but he was in fact slacking on his duties as my producer and sleeping on that spot. And he was so adorable. Obviously it would be like a war crime for me to move him. So we're still in front of my desk, my messy desk that you guys always see super clean when I do uh, YouTube videos. But for this podcast, I'm like, no, you guys get an unfiltered version. Isn't that fun? My point is, is that I did in fact remember what the story was. And it's still, in my opinion, um, something that I can share with you guys because I I have a lot of opinions about this because I've talked about, especially on my YouTube channel a lot, marketing and social media and how I believe that if you are, whether you have a movie, a product, a place that you are trying to get people to come to, if you're not on TikTok and using that as a marketing avenue, you are missing out. Whether, Whether you involve influencers or not, you should be marketing on TikTok right now. And you may say, I hate TikTok. I don't like what's on there. And that's fine. You can have whatever opinion you want of the platform itself, frankly. I will say that if you're a grown man and you come to me and say, I hate that app. It's all young teenagers dancing. I'm going to be concerned because it's an algorithm. They show you what you watch. At a certain point, it'll stop recommending you those if you don't watch them. You're just telling on yourself when you tell me that. 
But this comes from TikTok. So for those of you who don't know, there is a very big, I guess this kind of comes down to the ASMR side of things as well. We can kind of get into that. But this, there is an element that I, I mean, I always think of it as stimming in a sense. I don't know how to fully explain it to you, but uh, paint mixing videos, okay? Or something that I used to watch those on Tumblr all the time. I see them on smaller scales on TikTok of people just, you know, mixing paint on a palette and showing or mixing various mediums on a palette. I, for one, like when uh, I've seen a lot of artists. I've been really into like natural paints or uh, sustainable is not the word, but like recycled paints in a sense where it's like artists use other mediums that aren't specifically like acrylic or watercolor paints. And then they mix it with other like mixing mediums to turn them into paints like old eyeshadows, old makeup that's expired that you can't really use anymore, but you don't really want to throw out. And, you know, turning that into paint or using um, like dried leaves and things and crushing that into paint. I, that's what I'm interested in right now. But in 2020, when the pandemic was kind of, you know, forcing us all inside, was kind of, when it was forcing us all inside, TikTok really did hit its stride in that time. Because I do think that the public opinion of TikTok really changed because of the pandemic. Everyone just was calling it a Vine knockoff. It sucked. People, every other week, there was a threat of it being shut down by the government, all this stuff. But people were starting to realize like, okay, yeah, TikTok has good content. I like the stuff that's on there. It just took me a little while to get used to it and get it set up. So what I like, you know, that type of thing. But there was this creator on there, Tony Papino, I want to say his name is. I want to make sure it's right. Wow, Papino is not right at all. Uh, Tony Piloseno. I'm saying this wrong, but Tony Piloseno had a TikTok account because he worked at a Sherwin-Williams and he made paint mixing videos on a grander scale. So he would take, you know, like their base paint, like their base cans of paint, and then would show the mixing process. Sometimes it would be like, oh, here's, can you do like this organization or this like uh, amounts or whatever, and would just kind of show the process of making paints and mixing it and all of that in these, in a Sherwin-Williams store. And people really liked that because he seemed to really just like showing like, oh, this is the process of making paint. And I always think that there are different things. It's kind of like how it's made, you know, and like the fascination for people with how it's made that I'm talking about the show for those who don't know, where you can just kind of see like, oh yeah, I never really wondered how they made wrought iron fences, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. Show me, tell me how, how do they, how, how do they make chicken wire? Tell me, oh, how do you make Fisker scissors? You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I've never really thought about, you know, paint mixing before, but like, can you show me how, or like, you know, I'm fascinated to hear about that. So it was kind of one of those things where it was filling a niche that a lot of people didn't even really think of basically, which is how a lot of great content creators can get their start. Even if they believe that a market is way too overflown. If you just start playing around with stuff, you may find something that, you know, you like. And Tony had been working at a Sherwin-Williams for three years and he really liked the paint mixing process. And he was like, I just really got excited about paint and TikTok was another way for me to show that. And so he started making those videos. After a while, he gained something like 2 million followers on TikTok. Like these videos were popular. He did something really smart where he would start the video with, guess what, here are our uh, amounts of like the various colors that he was gonna be adding to the paint. And then be like, comment what you think it's gonna be and then comment if you think it's right. And so things like that help drive up engagement and comments, which help get your videos promoted more. So things like that are really good. And it was done in, a, and someone's gonna be like, oh, that's so transparent. Yes, but it's done in a fun way because in that way, it's not like, hey, comment if you like this video. That's stupid. But commenting, hey, guess what color this is before the video is done, then that's like a more, it's a fun, you gamify content creation. You know, you gamify watching a TikTok. 
and that's fun for people. And so I really think that we can have a whole conversation here about authenticity versus like manufactured authenticity, because that's what we're seeing now with what's going on. But basically, Tony realized like, you know, I really think there's an option here for Sherwin-Williams to like work with me so that we can kind of help them get a younger audience because like TikTok had a very, it's a very young audience. I mean, I'm 24, but you know, it's like Gen Z, early millennials, older. I'm not saying that's all who's on TikTok, but that was his point to Sherwin-Williams of like, look, they have a younger audience. And I think this is a great marketing opportunity. He made a pitch deck, including his TikTok and all of that, showed it to his, the people at his store. And they liked it so much that they gave him the contact to the head of marketing for Sherwin-Williams. Tony reached out to this person multiple times and then even contacted them on LinkedIn and just essentially said that when they finally got back to him, they essentially said, yeah, we don't really have any promotions going on right now. So we don't really see a point in this. And it's not something, it's not the first time we've seen something like this where people don't realize that just because they've done something the same way for 12 plus years or whatever, they think there's no need for them to change it because, oh, this has worked up until now. They don't see the potential growth opportunities anymore because they've all they focus on is hitting that line that they've always been hitting, you know, like they don't think about other options or better options. Even people are fairly certain that because Tony submitted uh, the pitch deck included his TikTok and then his insistence on them, at least looking at his proposal, which I mean, Hey, I also would be insistent about it. I'm not knocking him for being persistent. If you have an idea and you believe in it, go for it. Absolutely. But in doing that, they started looking at his TikToks and then they later claimed that they'd gotten multiple complaints from videos for him about, I I don't get it, why they would get complaints about that, but whatever. But basically he was fired and they said uh, gross misconduct, embarrassing the company, misusing company equipment because they determined that he was making the paint on company time without paying for it. They accused him of stealing the paint. And he said, no, originally I was just recording orders that people had made when no one else was in the store. He then moved on to once he started making more videos, he started using his employee discount to make the paint himself. So he would buy the paint and then make it either potentially on company time or on his break or whatever. But he made it clear it was not when people were in the store. But he was fired. Okay. And he he even said, I read an article that came out at the time. He was fired in 2020, in the end of 2020. So it, like once... Stuff was getting, he was doing really well on TikTok at this point. And uh, he's like, I kept expecting someone from HR to reach out to me. I never got to share my side of things. And I was just fired. And unfortunately, yeah, these chains, I never worked for Sherwin-Williams. I'm not here to make a claim about their employment status or anything like that. But these chains, these long running chains, they don't care about you. They'll fire you for eating your lunch in the wrong position in the break room. You know, like they, a lot of times they don't have to give you a reason for firing you. They can just fire you and it sucks. And at the end of the day, I mean, if anything, I would like to use this as an example to tell anyone listening that like, if you work for a chain, your coworkers, I, I don't know. I know I don't want to give you like a, a non-community thing because some people I know have made very good friends through coworkers and things like that. But like these companies are not your friends at the very least. Okay. Maybe your coworkers are great. These companies are not your friends. And so you may have a great idea to make things better and all the stuff. And like, here's a great opportunity from you. And they will either steal the idea, which we can talk about now, or, uh, you know, they're, they're going to take it out on you for some reason for you, you dare. It's not like in the movies where they realize that you have this incredible mind and you're being underutilized in brand management or whatever the fuck you're doing. You know, it's not like that. Okay. So I just, 
again, protect your, your paycheck <laughs> and then go get a better job or do something else, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm not going to sit here and do a Kim Kardashian. Like, you better work. I'm not going to do that because that's stupid. But, you know, I just, I, I want you to know that these companies will do everything in their power to make you think that you need them when you're the reason that these CEOs and people are functioning and make the money that they do. So that's my view on that. But anyway, fast forward to February of 2022. It's now March. Sherwin-Williams now has a TikTok page. It's a new TikTok page. They made their first video in February. Oh, I should also point out for Tony himself, he's actually made Tonester Paints because that was like his original thing was like Tonester Paints or whatever was the name of his page. So he has made his own paint company. He's made about $15,000 this year, I believe, or at some point and is still making paint mixing videos on his uh, page. So I'll link his stuff down below because, you know, I do think it's fucked up how Sherman Williams, you know, handled the situation. And even now they have created their own TikTok and even watching the TikToks, it's like I said, it's the forced authenticity that these brands don't, so many brands don't get what they're doing. They hire some, see, this is okay. We can have a whole other episode about these really stupid TikTok videos that I hate. I hate. Okay. Where it's some young 20 something and Hey, I'm a young 20 something, but seriously, it's a 20 something making a video about how from a brand page being like, Hey, can you help me get uh, X amount of followers? So my boss doesn't fire me for lying on my resume or, Hey, I convinced my boss we need a TikTok. Now I have to go viral or I'm going to get fired. Like, I don't care. No, do your job. What about, tell me about your company. Tell me about your job. You're a brand manager now. Congratulations. You now work in social media management. You run your social media page. Tell me about it. Tell me about your company. Tell me about your products. Tell me about your staff maybe or the, your your workers. You know, I don't know. Do something of substance, okay? Don't just be like, oh, here's the vibes. Like, no, no, stop it. You're an adult now. Congratulations. It's not cutesy anymore. You're not going to go viral for being quirky. No, stop it. Anyway, the Sherwin-Williams pages. So right now they have nine videos on their TikTok page. Most of them have their comments off. <laughs> Take a guess why. So far, um, they have not posted that I can see any paint mixing videos. The moment they do, Tony should sue them. <laughs> and not that Tony owns paint mixing videos, but... He could, I mean, I don't know. Does anyone else think that he potentially has, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have a case for, you know, unlawful termination or whatever. But like if, if he if he can genuinely prove that he was, you know, on the clock and paying for whatever, like the stuff he was using, then I mean, we could probably have a, a wrongful termination lawsuit here. But especially if they fired him for making a certain type of content and then they mimicked that content when he gave them a pitch deck, the pitch deck could be evidence, a pitch deck of like, oh, here's how to reach a viral audience with this, you know, that type of thing. Their videos are not good, um, but basically it's like, oh, duet me. They're trying to uh, partner with a lot of influencers, specifically, is it just this one? Did you know that? No. Okay, so they're partnering with a couple of different influencers because again, these brands, hey, I'm a content creator. I work with brands. I am an influencer. But that's not the only element of it when it comes to social media marketing. Influencer marketing is a subset of social media marketing, okay? And so, so many of these brands 
think that that's all they need to do, okay? All they need is to have an influencer in a video and it's gonna help grow their following or get their sales and X, Y, and Z. And that's not all it is. An influencer partnership is an investment. The ROI, return on investment, means that you may not get that return on investment. It's my job to tell people about your company and share it with my audience. What you do with that audience once they click on your link and get to your page, that's up to you. It's not my job to complete the sale for you. That's on you as the brand. And so, so many of these brands don't think about the other side of the influencer brand partnership. They see, oh yes, influencer, make me money. That's all they see. They don't think about, okay, so the influencer is showing this paint. They're using this paint. They're talking about this. How easy is it for the person who gets to their link to get to that link, to get to that paint? You know, is it this link that I'm giving them? Do they have to go through hoops? Do they have to use a discount code? Is that paint now going to be out of stock or is it actually not actually ever in stock and it was just made for this influencer? Like how easy is it to check out once I put the paint in my cart? Am I going to have, are you, how easy are you going to make it for me to check out for it? Because again, you're not marketing to people who are 35 and over at this point. Once you start getting to influencer marketing for the vast majority of influencer marketing for the record. In particular, I had a brand that I worked with once in 2021. I really liked working with the brand. I still use their product um, and I'm not gonna say the name because yeah, I, I've done a brand deal with them before. I really like the product. I still use it to this day. I really like it. I They did a rebrand and I reached out to them and I was like, hey, you, I saw you guys did a rebrand. I still use your product. I love using it. I would like to do another brand deal with you guys with your relaunch and we can kind of do like a whole thing for your rebrand and like pitch them to this and they asked for my analytics and then they decided that my audience was too young for them, which is fine, but they wanted an older audience, which I mean, hey, they have every right to say no to me if they want an older audience. However, that being said, I disagree. I think a lot of brands need to kind of be looking at other audiences versus their target. Like I know that everyone has a target audience. I'm talking in circles. I'm mincing how I'm explaining this, but the brand had every right to turn me down is my point. If they have a target audience in mind, they have a target audience in mind and I'll be all. However, when you, you can't just have an influencer and then think that you're automatically going to get like an older audience or a younger audience because of who you're working with, you know, like you kind of got to play around with things. My point is with the Sherwin Williams ads is that the TikToks are not very conducive to gaining an audience or getting a young following whatsoever. They keep making videos where it's like, what would you pair this with? Trying to encourage duets and stitches, which it's good in a sense to gain more traction, but when you have those on, you also have people who are commenting and duetting and stitching saying, hey, what you did to this guy, Tony, is fucked up. What you guys did is a problem. And now you're on TikTok far too late. And you better hope you, if they start making paint mixing videos tomorrow, people will crucify them. Like it'll be, they can't win with that at this point. It's, it's too late. They apparently the CEO apologized to Tony for what happened and all this stuff. But like the TikToks are too late at this point. Anyway, go follow Tony. <laughs> you can't just go into social media marketing in general with one goal in mind. You know, you can't just go in with like, oh, we're going to gain all these followers. This is how we do it. you got to have a plan. Maybe have someone who actually is familiar with marketing on TikTok or social media on TikTok. That's why a lot of these people are hiring younger people to run their TikTok accounts or social media pages. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I just hate this one trend of people going on there and being like, I need to gain followers or I'm fired. Like, that's stupid. Stop it. Try. Effort. 
at all. Please. Thank you. Um, and yeah, anyway, Sherwin Williams, you guys are the grandpas of paint. I don't know. Anyway, moving forward. The other main thing we are talking about today is uh, the Casey Neistat David Dobrik documentary, Under the Influence, that debuted this weekend, this past weekend, at the time of this episode coming out, at South by Southwest in Texas. I was going to go to South by Southwest, and then I forgot, and then when I remembered, tickets, planes, and hotel rooms were all insanely priced, and it would be fiscally irresponsible for me to try and make that happen. So I am not at South by Southwest. But that being said, because I was not at South by Southwest, I did not watch this documentary. I have not seen it. I have simply read reviews from various publications and there's quotes from the documentary in there and all of that. The reason I am bringing this up is because this is the documentary that Jeff Wittick talked about of why he is now done with David and why uh, this was one of the final straws is because I'm assuming it was Casey, uh, but Casey or one of the producers for the documentary uh, that Casey has been filming since 2019 of David showed Jeff like as a heads up, hey, this is a clip of something David says about the accident because the accident happens in this time. Casey was on the beach and heads up for when this documentary does come out. Um, I will be interested in watching it, even though I have my very, I, I'm pretty set in my opinions on David. And from what I've heard of this documentary, this documentary will not change my mind. If anything, it'll drive it more home. But uh, for fair warning uh, for Jeff's accident, it's kind of been said, or what I'm understanding is that they actually show a different version of the accident from the beach of Jeff hitting the side of the crane, the excavator that David was swinging him on that caused him brain damage. And you see him floundering in the water upside down and all the stuff. So keep that in mind. If you're going to watch this documentary, you will see this. And as someone who has seen a, a video, like a phone video that someone filmed from the beach or further off, I heard the sound his head makes when it slaps into the side. It's it's not a fun video. It's not good. It's not... It, 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 it's not even like grossly fascinating. It's disturbing to watch and concerning. And then also, you know, that like it, 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 Jeff could have easily died from this accident. And I think that that's something that now in the minutia of all of this and how everyone is kind of like looking at both sides of everything, which sometimes, sure. You know, I, I've said for this year, one of my mottos is two things can be true at the same time. And I do think that this falls into this, okay? Because someone's trying to put the blame on everyone else, okay? Jeff is trying to put the blame on David. David is now trying to deny all culpability and putting it all on Jeff. That Jeff's idea to do the stunt, it was Jeff's idea to get on the crane and David just drove it, you know? And he'll take the responsibility, but he feels like he's being forced to take all the responsibility. Okay, I think that two things can be true at the same time. David can be the one who was driving the excavator with no license, one-handed with a camera, even in the screenshot from the articles I'm going to link down below. If you zoom in, you can see David's hand is up and one is on the wheel. The other one's holding a camera. He is one-handed driving an excavator. He does not have their credentials to drive or operate, let alone in shallow fucking water to swing someone around on. We can accept that that is true and that David should not have been doing any of that. And we can also accept that Jeff chose to get on the, the uh, rope for the shot. He chose to get on it after he saw Corinna get upset about how David was swinging her around. And you're going too fast. You're taking things too far. Let me down. And Jeff made the choice to get on that. We can accept that both those things are true. We can also accept that if Jeff had died, regardless of whose idea it was, David would be the one 
who was charged with manslaughter because he's the one driving the fucking excavator. He's the one, his name is probably on the fucking permit. That or Natalie, his assistant slash business partner, okay? Who, at least from some of the quotes that I've heard from the documentary, um, this documentary is not going to look good on her either. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that it's safe to say, it's fair to say that neither of the accidents were entirely Jeff or David's fault. There, one person was injured, but I do think both of them were negligent in this situation, okay? Whether it was an accident or not, this shouldn't have happened. And the documentary touches on that, essentially, from my understanding, and that the documentary basically says that David kind of created this environment for his vlogs of always doing more, always doing better. And he kind of, you know, forced this this uh, culture onto his friend group of the vlog squad that, you know, if you want to continue to be in the vlogs, if you want to, you know, have your fame and fortune because of me, you're going to do what I want for my vlogs. And, you know, you should come to me with crazy ideas because we need to do that. And there's apparently one point where he says to the camera, like, oh, yeah, basically this video, this part won't be funny unless someone gets hurt. And I don't think, I think they talk about Jonah's injury, Nick's, Nick Antonian's in, injury in his videos uh, from years ago, uh, where he was asked to jump a pool on a little mini motorcycle and caused internal damage and had to go to the hospital. Like this, Jeff is not the first time that he's injured someone. And I think that's what people are like choosing to forget. He also like ruined his friend's career uh, from beaming him with a pine cone and it got infected or something. Like that's from years ago too, one of his hometown friends. And Jeff's injury, I mean, I don't want to disregard the other injuries of his other members who have been hurt on camera and stuff, but like Jeff's going to forever have vision and brain problems because of this accident, you know, like his skull was fucking cracked open. And so I think that, I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to sit here and be like energy, the uh, injury Olympics for the David Dobrik vlog squad. You know, I'm not going to sit here and do that, but like, I don't know. And it seems like, see, this is the thing too. And the Daily Beast article, uh, I think said it best because everyone else was kind of trying to be impartial about like, here's what we saw and talk about Kat's insider article that was mentioned because this all, this all came out uh, of the girl who uh, alleged that she was uh, assaulted during a filming of a, a vlog for David's channel. And that video was uh, by Dirty Dom, one of the vlog squad members um, or former members now. It depends how you look at it. A friend of David's. And, uh, you know, the video was later taken down at her request and all this stuff. Like, I remember when that video came out. I, I think I watched that video. It's now been alleged that uh, Dom had assaulted her when she was too drunk and unconscious and didn't remember the next day. And that you know, the rest of the guys there uh, that had invited her over and her and her friends over, including David, had supplied alcohol when they were all underage. They talk about it in this video and in this movie. And at the very end, that's the last interview they do. They're talking about this article is how they end the documentary. And the Daily Beast, I think, does the best article on this because they straight up say like, hey, we think that David is going to hate this documentary. Because it doesn't make him look good. The Daily Beast article is titled, YouTuber David Dobrik is going to hate the new documentary about him. And they basically say it's like, yeah, no, uh, it's it's complicated when you agree to be in a documentary made by a friend. Casey and David were friends. And, you know, how that could change. Because originally, Casey just kind of wanted to document David's 
uh, popularity and all of that. And, uh, you know, can you still be just a kid with a camera when you have the type of influence that David has garnered over this point or has gained up until this point? And apparently at one point when he is interviewed, like David was not there at the premiere of this. And Casey says that he has, though David has seen the documentary, Casey has not spoken to him since their last interview and said that uh, people are fucking complicated, he offered. I mean, hey, you know, I think this, from what I've heard of this documentary, it needed to be made. And, you know, maybe Casey wasn't fully impartial when he approached it, you know, because it is his friend or whatever. But like, it does seem like at at a certain point, he was like, okay, this is what's happening. We're showing this. We're showing it all. And, you know, you may lose friends doing that. But, you know, hey, if you can show the truth in that, I do think that's admirable. Neistat used the since-deleted video in the film, blurring all the women's faces. It shows Dobrik and other members of the vlog squad making crude jokes and laughing as they try to enter the bedroom to get a glimpse of the head count. Because originally they were trying to have, they they tried to say that Dom had invited all these women over so he could have like a five-sum or something and like have a bunch of girls sleep with him and all this other stuff. Toward the end of the video, Dobrik laughs and tells the camera, Dom just had a threesome and I think we're all, I think we're all going to jail. They're all laughing in the car, all this stuff. After the article came out, David tried to do damage control with a Let's Talk video posted on his least followed YouTube channel and skirted around the story. When he began to lose sponsorship deals left and right, he made a second video wherein he stated his disbelief, his belief in the young, sorry, belief. He he claimed he believed um, the woman's story and apologize for not addressing the serious matter sooner. The article goes on to talk about the accident, goes on to talk about, you know, we do see footage of the accident. So again, keep that in mind. Dobrik seemed rattled by the accident, but ultimately placed the blame on Wittick for attempting the stunt in the first place. It's in the same vein that David can't seem to grasp why he was under fire and facing backlash for the Business Insider article. The alleged assault comes up in the last interview Neistat has with Dobrik, and the tone is noticeably different. Dobrik seems guarded, if not slightly pissed off that he's having to talk about this in the first place. He tells Neistat that he felt the article was unfair to him and only written because this place wanted clicks. I don't want to respond to it because I don't want to feed the fire of just gossip and hate and drama, he said. I've always wanted to be a person that when you see me, you're just like laughing or smiling or you're pumped to have me around. Now I'm stained forever with something that I don't necessarily think I should be stained with. Dobrik refuses to concede that his mega influence might create an environment where people feel pressed to put themselves in risky situations because of the inherent power dynamic at play. He single-handedly has the ability to make members millionaires, and despite the borderline exploitative nature of having his vlog squad pals perform insane tasks while he laughs behind a camera, Dobrik fails to see how any of that poses a problem. The last paragraph of this is what gets me, but it's hard to tell if Dobrik believes that he's at fault in any way for anything. After a fallout with Wittick, the two seem to have made up, with Dobrik posting a video of the two sparring. After losing a round, Dobrik quips to the camera that he's much more dangerous with with a crane because as long as the camera is rolling, Dobrik is only interested in the lols. And that's where the article ends from Daily Beast. I think that's something that I have an issue with most of social media content creators right now when something comes out. And we can have a whole long discussion about cancel culture and all this stuff. There is an innate lack of accountability from content creators when they are called out for something, whether it's something like creating an environment for someone that ends up with someone getting in, 
absalted and then used for content in a vlog and then trying to, you know, delete it and hide it later after the person asked you to take it down and then acting like nothing happened and then not addressing it, getting upset because why is this put on me? Because it was in your fucking video, but you know, whatever, moving forward. Or, you know, it's something like uh, them demanding nudes from fans and using that power imbalance or grooming an underage fan. Like these people always say, I didn't understand the power I had over them, or it's not my fault that they did it. If anything, they took advantage of me, you know, like this insane lack of responsibility for these people who have these platforms. It's insane. Can someone with this type of content just be someone who's just a kid with a camera? It doesn't matter what you started out as. It's what you've turned into. It's what you've created. And at a certain point, you have to take accountability for the environment that you've created, for the culture that you've created in your friend group. Because anyone who is familiar with the vlog squad at all, you know that at a certain point, if you say no enough times to being in content, to doing a stunt, to not being in on the joke or getting upset, at a certain point, you're not invited to hang out anymore. You're not invited to be in content anymore. And to some people, people are like, okay, yeah, I don't wanna be around that friend group either. But when you're, when you have been gifted in a sense, you've been given the opportunity to gain millions of followers, your success is attributed to this group, to this person, you feel indebted to them. You feel like you need to continue to do whatever it is that will push you to your breaking point to maintain the audience that you've been gifted. And some people are gonna have an easier time saying no to that than others, especially when at some point this becomes your whole life. I feel like just, the more days that go by, the more it's proving to me that these so many content creators can say they understand that they are taking accountability, but they don't know what that means. And even then, I don't think, again, I haven't seen the documentary, but from what I'm reading from various reviews at this point, it doesn't seem like David seems like he takes any responsibility in anything that comes out of his vlogs. Like if someone walks in and stabs someone tomorrow in one of his videos for, you know, the for clickbait or whatever, he's not gonna see that as a problem apparently, or like at least like, oh yeah, that's not my fault that my friend stabbed my other friend because, you know, I said, hey, stab him for a joke or whatever, or hey, I need content for my vlog and my friend snapped and that's not my fault. You know, like it's, what what point is too far when already you have a friend who's going to have lifelong pain and sight problems because of your videos, you know? And again, people, you can disagree with me all you want. Maybe you see that none of this is that deep and I'm overlooking this, but I just, I can't get past that. And then for David to sit there and see this woman sharing her story of being assaulted in his apartment while he was rolling a camera in another room and supplying her and her friends with alcohol, that he sees that as a rumor that he has to deal with. Like it's not his problem. This is being done to me, not this girl who is taking a risk and going public with being assaulted. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'll say that to your fucking face. That's fucked up. Anyway, I'm done. I, not, not a fun episode. Sorry guys, we started with paint. We started with paint and then we ended with this documentary. And the more I, the more I read about it, it doesn't matter how like, oh, we're trying to like, we want a car from David. It doesn't matter who is writing it. This documentary is going to be not looking good for David. So I'm done. Anyways, that's going to be it. Jeez. If you liked this episode, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do the peppy positive ending shenanigan 
thing here. I don't know how to do that. Oh my God. After that, I'm upset. Anyway, if you like this podcast, like and follow new episodes every Wednesday. Um, if you would like to watch us on video form, we have a video podcast that goes up on the Swell Shenanigans podcast YouTube channel. If you'd like to submit your own shenanigans, you can submit it through Anchor if you want to submit a voice message, or you can go to swellshenaniganspodcast at gmail.com and submit one over there. And that's going to be it. Thank you all so much for listening. I will talk to you next time.